Hey everyone, this is one of your two co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and you may notice that this episode title might look a little familiar. That's because we're delving back into the archives to give you this old episode from summer 2019, uh, those halcyon days before a global pandemic swept the world, and then its variants swept the world again. Uh, both Martha and I are busy both with work and with vacations, and it is, of course, summer, so we thought we'd give you this little summer delve back into the archives with an older episode about vacation reading. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and today I am very sore because I went on a long bike ride yesterday, and it turns out uh, it, my body, I guess, takes 12 hours to recognize that fact. So <laughs> all of yesterday is coming back to haunt me now. Uh, with me, as always, is my intrepid co-host. Uh, Martha Sullivan, and this afternoon I will be a Pokemon Safari guide and hopefully a prolific uh, Pokemon catcher. I'm going on a raid train to catch Entei with a bunch of people down a on the UIC campus this afternoon. Is that for a Pokemon so, Go? Yes. Cool, cool. Because I am one of the 12... Actually, no, that's not fair. Poke, uh, GoFest is still selling out on the regular. I was about to say I'm one of the 12 people still playing, but I think it's still got legs um, based on the fact that someone organized a raid train this <laughs> afternoon. What is a so, raid train? Um, it's where you... So they've been doing community events where the same legendary Pokemon uh, pops up as a raid, which is like a big... Um, catching opportunity that multiple people can hit at the same time. So mm. you're fighting big, powerful Pokemon with multiple people. Uh, and there's a three-hour window where Entei, the giant fire dog from Gold and Silver, will be at um, a bunch of raid stops all at the same time. So a raid train is basically a schedule of we're going to go here and then here and then here and then here. It's like maximize the number of raids you can hit up at one time. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the more people that you do them with, the more ch the more effective um, it is, and the better chance you have of actually getting to catch the legendary. That's really cool. Yeah, it's basically like peak. This is how the game was designed to work. Like it's a it's definitely a solo game that you play on your own phone, but there's a lot of really cool team play that can that it's kind of designed to support. And this is like the platonic ideal of how that should work. Yeah, I, I really like the idea that it's like, every, like even if you didn't even know this raid was going on, if you just happened to be in the area, it's like, oh, I got Entei, and there are five other people also trying to catch him. Um, yeah, that, exactly. That's a really neat sort of, like, structure. And you get bonuses for the raids based on, like, if you have a, if you have, you, have bo you get bonuses for the raids based on how many people do it with you, and then also, like, how many are on the same team as you and how quickly you manage to do it. So there's, a like, a whole lot of uh, cool stuff you can get by doing it with a whole team of people. Sure, sure. Very cool. Um, well, today we are going to be talking about beach reads because it is the height of summer. Uh, don't know about you listeners, but summer finally arrived here in Milwaukee, and I think it finally arrived in Chicago as well. It did indeed. We had some like touch and go days in June where I had to turn my heat back on. Yeah. Which is the most insulting thing that's ever happened to me during a summer. Winter lasted till May. Spring was the last two weeks of May and June. Uh, and now it's summer. <laughs> um, so because of that, we're going to be talking about beach reads. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about what is stuck in our head this week. Uh, so, Martha, why don't you go first? What's in your head? Okay, so my sister has been trying to get me to watch this show for, like, a hundred years. And I have always been putting her off because I'm like, I'm watching other stuff. I want to, you know, make sure that I'm, like... I like to watch one thing at a time when mm -hmm. I'm seriously binging something because it helps me keep my attention on it. Um, so I finally had a chance to start this Netflix show called Sex Education... 
Uh, it stars Asa Butterfield and Gillian Anderson, who is uh, who plays Asa's mother. Uh, she is a sex therapist. Uh, she helps people with their uh, sex-related issues. Um, and when one of Asa's high school classmates finds out that he has absorbed some of his mother's like words of wisdom, she decides that it would be a potentially lucrative side hustle for him to offer sex advice to their classmates and for her to collect a fee on that. <laughs> uh, it's delightful. The kids in it. So it's like part high school drama, um, part like teenage sex romp, but it's really intelligent. It's not just like, we're a bunch of teen boys trying to get laid. Like it actually is a very um, pretty touching look at like the insecurities that people deal with and like how communication in a relationship goes. Um, Asa's character's best friend is gay and dealing with all of that. Um, There's just a lot. My, my understanding is that it's like it's a fairly uh, like sex positive look for high school, like especially uh, like for the women. Oh, absolutely. Um, it is like it is just sort of an acknowledged fact that like these are 16, 17, 18 year olds. They are having sex. And the show is definitely geared more towards how can we make sure that you guys are being safe and happy and like confident rather than shaming anybody for the fact that they're having sex. Right, right. Um, yeah, particularly, and it's, I, w- I would say it's definitely, like, equal weighted. Like, it, it acknowledges that girls, ha- like, all of the issues that girls have around this, and also boys, and it does a lot with, like, teen relationships. Um, it's just, it's very, it's a varied show mm-hmm. about what issues it tackles, um, there's an abortion storyline in like episode three that is multi-generational and like really touching and sensitive on how people in different circumstances, like why they choose to get abortions, what that looks like, what the aftermath looks like. Um, I'm only on episode three, so I'm still kind of working my way through it, but I, I'm really enjoying it. And Lizzie, sorry, it took me so long to get to it. Also, <laughs> Jillian Anderson is luminous. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> I mean, as she is in everything. She's really wonderful because she's a single mom in this show. And so a lot of what we see with her and her son is her trying to be this like very open-minded and like you can talk to me about anything and Asa being like, but I don't want to talk to you. You're my mom. <laughs> 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 yep that and uh, like what it looks like to have to have a parent who is very open and accepting but also maybe too open mm-hmm. and you're an awkward 16 year old who does not want to talk about your talk to your parents about this kind of thing desperately does not yeah <laughs> nice all right uh well what stuck in my head this week is uh the folk horror film midsomar which uh just came out written and directed by ari aster um it's horror but it's also a deep investigation into grief and sort of processes of grieving um a young uh graduate student um played by florence Pugh, joins her absolutely horrific boyfriend and his friends on a trip to Sweden to watch a uh, midsummer festival at like a small pagan commune um, and things go awry for many of them. Uh, It's two and a half hours so it's long and slow but it kind of just lets you luxuriate and because it's set in northern Sweden uh, during the summer, it's never dark. It's constantly sunny and sun-filled. Everyone is smiling and happy and, you know, wears beautiful dresses and costumes and whatnot um, as these, like, you know, increasingly uh, bad things start happening. Um, Everyone's happy until they're really not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even then, though, it's not a traditional horror film. There's, like, zero jump scares. There are two to three uh, graphic, like, visually graphic scenes um, 
And it, it it's also a very serious investigation into grief and grieving and like what it like the, the, the movie begins. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, um, but yeah, so the, the movie begins with uh, the main character experiencing some pretty traumatic loss in her life. Um, and she is sort of grappling with that throughout the movie. Um, and the, the commune that she goes to has a very different way to look at life and death and, and whatnot than she does and than Americans do. So it's, uh, it, it's a very intelligent movie. It's one that I definitely walked out of and then had to spend like the next hour discussing with the person I'd seen it with. Um, and, and he had seen well, it for the second time. So he was able to bring some other thoughts in. Because this phrase has a very specific meaning um, in terms of watching movies. By walked out of, you don't mean exited oh. in the middle of. Yes, yes, yes. Good point, good point. Um, the movie ended, and then we watched most of the credits, and then we went to... And then to, you left. <laughs> and then we went to the bar across the street from the movie theater and stayed there for too late on a Monday night. Um, so, yeah. So, Ari Aster did Hereditary, yes? Yes, and I have not seen Hereditary. Okay, that was going to be my follow-up question, because I have heard... I think the most mixed reviews of any movie ever about Hereditary. So, um, my uh, I, I saw Midsummer with my brother Mark. Um, he had recently seen Hereditary and loved it. My understanding is that traditional horror movie fans are not big fans of Hereditary because um, partly because it was sold as like a slightly bait and switch. Um, Mid Midsummer is definitely a horror movie, but it's not. Again, like, it's not a traditional horror movie. There's no jump scares. There's no slashers. Um, there's no, like, ghosts or whatever. Um, so if you're if you're going in with one expectation, you could be you could feel like you were burned by getting another. Whereas film nerds love Hereditary because it's, you know, it's artsy. My dad hated Hereditary more than any other movie in, like, the last ten years. Really? <laughs> He is, yeah, it's actually kind of funny. I haven't seen it, so I have no horse in this race. I I don't know that I would enjoy it just because I find a lot of screaming in a movie to be, like, sensorily overwhelming. Mm. And I've heard that Tony Collette does a lot of screaming in that movie. So I, I think that may be one I have to pass on. But, yeah, my dad is kind of fun to ask about it because he just gets, <laughs> like infuriated by the concept of it. <laughs> um, well, I, I should give you a slight trigger warning for Midsommar. There is a... The, the climax involves some uh, cathartic... It, it's not shrieking screaming, it's grief screaming. Um, so I should bring earplugs. I, don't, because the entire point is that you're supposed to be sensorily overwhelmed. Um... Like, the, 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 it's, I won't say anything other than it is cathartic in the most, like, traditional Greek play sense of the term. Um, exercising some demons. Uh, but not literally, because there are no exorcisms or demons in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. I think a lot of stuff could be punched up with a good exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> you know Chernobyl needed a little bit of exorcism. Um, I'm honestly I'm honestly a little surprised that nobody was like, you know what we could do? <laughs> what if the power plant was haunted? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, that is what is stuck in our heads for this week. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and talk to you about beach reads. So we are talking about beach reads this week because it is the height of summer, and we kind of accidentally, as we were developing our own separate lists, realized that uh, we had some pretty clear genre uh, that we're, we're falling into. Martha, you specifically created your lists based on two different genres, um, 
I created my list around authors and then realized that those authors basically fit into two different genres. Um, so we're going to tackle this not so much by individual books, but by good beachy genres with then some nice exemplars that we want to talk about thrown in there. Um, Martha, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, so yeah, when I am going on vacation, uh, specifically to the beach, I like to bring, obviously I like to bring a lot of books. Um, however many I've brought is not enough, just as a general rule. Um, and frequently when I'm on vacation with my family, we all end up kind of passing our books around as, you know, no one ever brings enough. <laughs> um, I, um, quick sidebar, that happened uh, with, with my family when the fifth Harry Potter book came out and we all got pink eye. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it was on a car trip, so probably it was being in a car which did it, but, like, the ongoing joke now is that that book specifically had pink eye. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so when I am on a beach, I like to read things that don't take too much brain power, that I can kind of just absorb and not have to think about too hard, because, let's face it, if I'm on a beach analyzing like the deep psychological ramifications of Roger Zelazny sci-fi is not going to be my number one priority. So the two genres that I basically live in during the summer are romance and horror because they are uh, two genres that I can enjoy at face value. I can kind of choose how into the book I want to get and mm -hmm. if I if I want to simply enjoy the words on the page as they are happening that is frequently um, you know totally acceptable obviously this is not a be all end all rule there is absolutely horror and romance that is like deep and has a lot to say about society and I thoroughly enjoy those just not when I'm like got my toes in my sand and a beer in a koozie next to my beach chair. So when I am reading horror, I'm going to start off with horror. Two, two of my go-to authors for that are Stephen King and Anne Rice. And I think that I, I do need to qualify this for Anne Rice by saying specifically her interview with a vampire trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, I think those books are great beach reads. They are bloody and romantic and emo but not in a way that is like mentally distressing um is that like so there's the interview with the vampire trilogy is that all of her Lestat books or are there other uh like vampire Lestat books that don't fit into that category um there are other well there are other vampire books that don't fit into that trilogy there's um another Lestat book called Memnock the Devil which I haven't read um, and then she did, like, The Vampire Marius and The Vampire Armand, none of which I have read. Um, and then at some point she discovered Jesus and her books kind of went fully off the rails. <laughs> right. Um, but if we're sticking to Interview with a Vampire, The Vampire Lestat, Queen of the Damned, those three uh, pretty quick reads, lots of great vampire personal drama, um, just really great uh vacation turn your brain off and enjoy the political squabblings of uh you know ancient blood sucking beings. homo blood sucking homoerotic vampires <laughs> uh the stephen king title i specifically had pulled out is i did not realize until just this very instant also a vampire book <laughs> um, i thought that was an intentional thing you were going for it was not, actually, um, but it is Salem's Lot. Um, and the thing about Stephen King is that a lot of his books are chunkers, which can be intimidating. I like them because they might actually last you a whole vacation. Mm -hmm. uh, and Salem's Lot in particular, I think, is a fabulous vacation read um, because it is a vampire book, but it is a vampire book without all of the stuff that I was just talking about with Anne Rice. Like, it's... It's about vampires as monsters, which is like, you know, if you if you want to read a good monster book, but you don't want to deal with like vampire feelings about what it means to live forever, uh, Salem's Lot I think is a really great um, 
a traditional monster book that really turns uh, the vampires into like faceless, Cre- mindless horrors. Yeah, creatures, not not humanoids. Exactly. Um, a couple other horror selections I had picked out that are separate from uh, those two authors. Um, Bird Box by Josh Mallerman, which just got turned into a movie on Netflix starring Sandra Bullock. Uh, this is a great one. <clears throat> it's got sort of the... Excuse me. <coughs> it's got a bit of an eldritch horror vibe, like the monsters in it are unknowing. Um, and it's also just a very good adventure book, which mm. is always fun to bring uh, to the beach. If you are not familiar with the concept of this one, whatever is like there is some kind of monster or creature or presence that invades the world that if you see it causes you to go insane and then kill yourself. Did they make a uh, movie of this recently? Yes, I just said that. Actually. I, I was definitely listening. <laughs> <laughs> Oi. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix exclusive. Uh, Sandra Bullock is our main character. Uh, and her character in the book, whose name you could not pay me money to recall, it's a first-person narrative, so you don't actually get to see her name so that often, reason. which is my defense, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, but through circumstances, she ends up with two small children Um, who she and they have been living basically blindfolded for about four years. And then things happen, which caused her to realize that they, that this is not sustainable. Um, She knows that there is a safe house somewhere, but in order to get there, she has to take these two small children, load them into a boat, pilot the boat down a river. And at some point, take her blindfold off in a situation where she just has to trust that doing so won't instantly kill her and these kids. Oh, this sounds awful. <laughs> like in, in the best possible way. Like, yeah, it sounds very it's, stressful. I think I, yeah, I think I chewed this one up in like two days. Um, I will say word of warning, you never get to see the monsters. So if that is what you are waiting for, I'm going to spoil that one for you because I think knowing that going into it would have made my reading experience a little more enjoyable. Well, that, um, that, that also makes sense from a first-person narrative where seeing the monsters is death. Exactly. And nobody who has seen them is in a condition to, like, describe them. Mm-hmm. Uh, do another author... Um, and book that I'd like to recommend. Mira Grant just writes wonderful, entertaining, pulpy uh, horror. We did Feed, her book Feed, for an episode a couple a uh, couple months back, which was about the aftermath of the zombie apocalypse. Um, but the book that I want to talk to you about is Into the Drowning Deep, which is about a boat and the ocean, which made it feel a little bit more beachy to me. Uh, and the, the big sell for this one for me is Horror mermaids. Hmm. Is this like this a, is about, a cabin in the woods mermaids? Um, a little bit. It's we plumbed the Mariana Trench and found deep sea mermaids that then ate us. Did you have this as a stuck in your head for one one episode? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Um, she wrote a novella about the um, she wrote a novella called Rolling in the Deep, which was about the original discovery of these mermaids. Into the Drowning Deep is a full length novel. You don't have to have read the novella for Into the Drowning Deep to make sense. But it's about the like follow up voyage to go discover what happened to this initial voyage. And yeah, it's so it's full of it's full of pseudoscience and like fake biology and how we would explain these creatures actually would exist. But at the end of the day, they are mermaids that are very dedicated to eating our faces. (laughs) Uh, The last one I'm going to talk about is a YA horror. Um, I wanted to talk about YA as its own like subcategory of stuff I take on vacation. And then I realized that all of the titles I was listing for YA were still horror and romance. Um, so I just collapsed that into the two er genres because this is what I like to read to give my brain a break. Um, 
So Madeline Rue is a wonderful YA horror author, and the book that in particular I'd like to talk about is Asylum, about a group of kids who go to a summer camp that happens to take place at a rehabbed, at a building that once upon a time was a um, asylum for mental health care, and it was an asylum during the time when it was really scary to be a person with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, this book does do, like, it is a using um, mental health as a conduit for horror, which in general is a trend that I, I don't think is very favorable. Um, but it also does a lot to invert the, uh, it does a lot to invert those tropes. So, like, the scary things don't end up being the people with mental health issues. Sure. Um but yeah, so the kids start to discover like the creepy past of this building and as they do like the haunting occurrences in the in the building start to escalate as they uncover the truth um, of what's been of the uh, of the hidden history of this place that they are going to school at. So it, it combines um, boarding school lit, which is one of my favorite YA genre like subgenres. Uh, with a lot of really cool, creepy haunted house tropes um, and some pretty cool reveals as the book goes on. Nice. All right, well, uh, my first genre is sci-fi. Um, there's sci- Sci-fi is very broad, you know? Martha, you just made a joke about, uh, I guess this is more... Uh, it could be either fantasy or sci-fi, but, like, Roger's uh, Zelazny, Zelanzy... Zelazny. Zelazny, cool. Can never pronounce his name. Um, is definitely on the headier end of sci-fi. Uh, and one of my other books I'm going to talk about later is also on that heavier end for beach reads. Um, but I'm going to start with, I think, one of the best beach read authors out there is Kurt Vonnegut. Um, his books are generally, even if they're thematically heavy, such as um, Slaughterhouse-Five, they're written with such a light tone and there are such quick reads that I think they are sort of ideal beach reads. Um, Cat's Cradle is a great example. You can be sitting on the beach, looking at the water, thinking about what would happen if a tiny little ice nine grain granule landed in that water. Um, but it's it's the classic Vonnegut, funny, quick, made up nonsense science. Um, it will ruin your ability to like write anything of your own because you'll just slip into Vonnegut ease. Uh, and the biggest problem with Vonnegut for a beach read is that you will be done with his books in two hours, and then you'll still be at the beach, so you'll need to bring two of them. Um, on a totally other directions, uh, first off, any, like, you know, if you like Star Wars books, if you like Star Trek books, that sort of thing, perfect beach reads, they all fit that category of, like, light, frothy, turn your brain off and just consume a good, uh, story. But if you want to go a different direction, um... Speaking of that that headier move, there is Dune. Uh, I really love Dune, and I read it on the beach a couple years ago. Uh, having I was rereading it for the first time in maybe 10, 15 years. Um, and I just really liked the, uh, the tactile sensation of sitting on the sand, reading a book about sand. Um, disclo- I would like to say yeah. to our audience that when Pete first said that he was going to pick Dune as a beach read, I said absolutely not. <laughs> I mean... Dune, um. <laughs> Dune does not fit in the traditional idea of what a beach read is. It is complex and uh, dealing with made-up politics. It's it's basically, yeah, most of you have probably read Dune, to be honest, but it's, it's the made-up politics and squabbling of a pseudo-early modern Europe era, like Holy Roman Empire era space fantasy world, um, which has well, a lot going on it's... in it. I think it's important to remember that people look for different things for their beach reads. Like, yes. I I do think it's totally valid to say I want something that's going to take me a month to read so that if I'm on the beach for a week of concentrated reading time, it will take me a week. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Uh, Dune is the opposite of Vonnegut. Instead of needing to bring two Vonnegut's for one day at the beach, you bring one Dune for a week at the beach. Um. I think my I think my husband would tell you that that would be the perfect beach read because it gives him it gives his brain something to noodle over. I like an excuse to turn my brain off 
Uh, he has never once done that in his life. So, <laughs> I mean, also full disclosure, I once brought a book about the, the revolutions of 1848 to the beach. Um, it was not a good. It was not a good beach read. I didn't finish it during that vacation and sort of put it down for a while. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I'm coming from, listeners. Uh, How dare you? <laughs> um, a third sci-fi book, which I think the first, it's it's a, a first book of a trilogy that is the most interesting. The trilogy kind of goes downhill. Is Annihilation by uh, Jeff Vandermeer. Um, it's a, a heady sci-fi, um, but it's another very quick read, serious page turner, which I think is is one thing I like when I'm going to the beach. If I'm not going to be mulling over some heady concept, I want a book that's going to just fly right by. Um, so, yeah, sci-fi in general. Vonnegut, I think, is kind of the, the premier beach read authors here. Or if you want something a little more serious, you've got Dune. Well, and I love sci-fi, um, but I frequently find that a lot of the sci-fi I read is just too thinky for mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. But like I said, people look for different things, and all of it is valid. Well, and on, like if you want to go even deeper, Neil Stevenson is some serious thinking sci-fi. Uh, they're also doorstopper books, mm -hmm. so um, well, he's got uh, big ideas in his works. I was going to say, I... Snow Crash, I actually would bring to the beach because I don't consider that to be a. That's like a that's like a pseudo thinky book. That's like a book that makes you think that you're reading deep ideas, yeah. but is not actually. So, and I would say that both that and Diamond Age are are great sort of like low key um, beach books. Most of his other ones are thousand page tomes with two hundred page digressions about whatever he's currently interested in. Um, which I thoroughly enjoy, but which can stymie uh, that sort of turn-brain-off uh, mindset. All right, Martha, what is your next genre? Oh, yeah, so the other genre I like to live in during the summer is romance, uh, because when it's summer and it's hot and I am not in school anymore, so I don't get three months of concentrated vacation time, I really enjoy a good wish-fulfillment book. And romance is basically the epitome of that. Um, a couple of titles. So I just finished. This was almost my stuck in my head this week. And then I was like, oh, I can talk about in the, it in the body of the episode <laughs> and also talk about sex education. Um, is a book called Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. This book just came out. So if you are looking for something to take on your vacation in August, this book is hot, fresh, and ready for you. It is the story about the first son of the United States and a crown prince of England and how they fall in love and have to keep that a secret so that being uh, the discovery of being gay doesn't tank his mother's re-election campaign uh, as a sitting president from Texas. Mm. Um She's a Democrat, but she's from Texas. I mean, she, she's um, a woman, so she's definitely a Democrat because... That, too. She's <laughs> also the first the first woman president of the United States. Uh, this book is so charming, I almost... Like, it, it made my heart happy while I was reading it. It is, it is a positive Twinkie of a book that I adored and am recommending to literally everyone I know. Um, and now all of you people as well. Another one that I really loved, uh, which is sort of hazily YA, I wouldn't, it's in my YA section because of the author, but it's, it's real spicy. So, you know, don't let the, the YA label, um, think that you're getting less bang for your buck. Ha 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 ha. Um, it's called A Court of Thorn and Roses by Sarah Moss. Um, it took me until I was finished reading it and talking about it to somebody else to realize that it is a retelling of the very traditional Beauty and the Beast fairy tale. Mm. So you have a girl from a very poor family um, who, through uh, circumstances, gets taken in exchange for the protection of her family, gets taken to the court of a fairy prince, um, 
they fall in love and also she gets to learn about like the curse that's been plaguing the fairylands and how to save the the prince that she's falling in love with and also there's a lot about like the relationship between the fairies and the humans um and then it's the first of three so if if it is your if it is your jam there is more where that came from but it's very pretty it's very emotional um and it mixes up a lot of very good like fairy tale retelling and also romantic tropes uh all in a lovely magic filled package um in that vein is the book Caraval by Stephanie Garber, which is like a fantasy adventure romance. Um, if you've read The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern, it's very similar in tone to that. So it's a lot of like really beautiful imagery. Um, it is about two, uh, two sisters who get invited to play a week-long game called Caraval, the winner of which at the end gets a wish um for anything they want uh but as soon as they arrive on the island that is the location of this game one of the sisters gets abducted mm. and it turns out that in order to win this particular iteration of the game you have to find the sister so our remaining sister now is like doubly invested in winning um and there is a very delicious little a romance that springs up with one of the people that shows or one of the people that becomes one of her allies in the game. So he's uh, he might be working for the game. He might not be. It's all very mysterious. I assume that um, there's some sort of like ticking clock situation. Like she's got three days to find her sister. Five days, but okay, yeah. Cool. Um, so that one's really lovely. Uh, my other to do. So the other kind of subgenre in romance that I'm using, or the other words are hard today. Can't make this transition. It's a really tough <laughs> transition based on the titles of these books and, and my understanding of what the subgenres might be. So during the summer, I also really love reading travel porn because I am not wealthy enough to travel to all of the places that I would like to. So I really enjoy reading books that are set in like very opulent and um you know international locales so i can read about all the wonderful food that they're eating and read about all of the amazing things that you can see that i don't have the time or the money to actually see on my own uh which is why i think you should bring crazy rich asians by kevin kwan to the beach um you may or may not have seen the movie if you haven't please do so it's wonderful uh, but his books are even more jam-packed with, like, crazy opulent details of the ways of the ways that these people live in uh, Singapore. And just, like I said, the food they eat, the places they go, but also the fashion and the art and all of... It's like double... It's both travel porn and also rich people porn. Mm -hmm. So I get to, like, live double vicariously. <laughs> I also, weirdly, got to learn a lot about the history of Singapore, which is woven into the fabric of the book so deftly that, like, you don't know that you're learning stuff, which is the optimal way to learn stuff in the summer, I think. And is that different? Like, my understanding from the movie, which I have not seen, um, is that it's the same sort of thing where it's like, you don't need to know how to play Mahjong to get what's going on in the Mahjong scenes. Um, Absolutely correct. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of name dropping and, like, um, the, I, I do think that the that Quan explains a lot of the stuff that is important to explain. Um, but he's also very good at weaving it into just, like, context gives you mm -hmm. a lot of what you need to know. Sure, sure. Uh, my last author that I want to talk about is Sandia Menon, who is another YA author who writes candy sweet books about Indian American teens. Uh, they frequently have to deal with um, like overbearing Indian parents that want to arrange matches between their children who are resistant to that idea, but eventually uh, 
either come around or don't. Actually, both ideas are explored in her books and both are valid. So it's not just like arranged marriages are always good. It, it's definitely leaning into all of her characters are individuals who are who want and are looking for different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first book is called When Dimple Met Rishi, and it's about uh, Dimple, who is a, a Indian-American teen who gets the chance to go to a coding camp over the summer to code um, to learn how to code mobile apps. And Rishi is the boy that her parents are trying to arrange a match for her with. And he goes to the camp also. He goes as a chance to meet Dimple, um, which she finds out about pretty early on and is, you know, justifiably angry that he is taking advantage of what for her is like this big opportunity to learn some really cool STEM stuff. Um and yeah, it's the process of them actually getting to know each other past this whole idea of like our parents set us up. So, you know, how how much do we want to pursue this? Right. Uh, her her second one or her other two are similar, but with very different characters. Um, they're all they're not direct sequels, um, but they all deal with like diasporic family issues and um you know, traditional values butting up against like modern sensibilities and are all just very cute. All of her, all of her girls are extremely independent and extremely wonderful. Her most recent one, uh, there's something about Sweetie. The main character, Sweetie, is uh, a bigger girl. So I like she's she's a tracks she's a track runner. But she's also plus sized is mm. the the phrase I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So that also deals with like body issues, and you know she's like totally fine with how she looks, but her parents aren't. So stuff like that. So like very, very YA themes, but also incredibly sweet and um unique romances. I I liked the the Indian American spin on it, like getting to to read about um. A different kind of family than what I am used to. Would you classify her as a YA author or these books as YA books? Or is it more just like oh. sort of hitting those themes? And Oh, yeah. No, all of her characters are teens. Okay, got it. So, yeah, they're all in like the 17 to 18 range. So, yeah, definitely, definitely pure YA. Sure, sure, sure. These are more, these are, these are not going to be super sexy romances. Um, but PG-13. they are very... Yeah, like there's some fade to black that happens, mm-hmm. um, but they're definitely more like on the emotional romance rather than the sure. physical. Sure. Well, great. Uh, my uh, next and, and the final genre that we're talking about as a beach read is fantasy. Um, like Martha, what you were saying about that, like travel porn angle the first one i'm gonna go with is the hobbit which is the perfect walking book where you just <laughs> <laughs> explore the world um i i love lord of the rings i love J.R. tolkien i think that the hobbit is a better beach book than lord of the rings and certainly more than the somerillion um because of that light frothy aspect to it um if you're going on vacation with family, if you have young kids, and by young I mean maybe third grade, um, this is a book you could probably read to them, or if they're precocious enough, read, like have them read, um, which is sort of a nice thing, you know, as you were saying, family passing the book around, depending on the age of kids, this is a pretty good book for that. Um, and it's it's written in such a different tenor than Lord of the Rings that it feels much more like a nice vacation-y kind of book rather than a serious fantasy tome, um, which is something that Peter Jackson, I guess, forgot about when he was making his three movies of, of it. Oh, he didn't forget. The studio was just like, how much, yeah, how many zeros should we put on this blank check? That's fair, that's fair. Uh, and also, <laughs> you have to make as many of these movies as you possibly can so that we can keep making the money. Um, the... I, bet, I bet The Hobbit would be really good on audio. Too. Yes, I have not. I haven't listened to it, but I I imagine that it would be a really good if you're into if you're into audiobooks as a format. Um, I get a lot of questions at the library about like good 
books that we can take on a road trip that the whole family will enjoy, Mm -hmm. which is a very tricky, Mm -hmm. very tricky ask. Um, But The Hobbit is one that I frequently pull out. I haven't listened to the audio, like I said, myself, but just in terms of story content, um, has wide appeal to pretty much all age ranges. And just the way it's written, like as you're reading it, you can tell that it, it, like the cadence of the words are such that they would work great read out loud. Um, mm-hmm. Which is like an important thing. Some some authors don't write that way. Um, speaking of fantastic audiobook uh, selections, uh, the the er fantasy for summer vacation reads of people of our generation is Harry Potter. Um, most of these books came oh, out God, in that's the true, summer. the The only reason why I never read them on the beach was because I read it within twenty four hours of getting it in my room. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, it never made it to the beach. <laughs> um, uh, but now you know able to come back with some time on your hands uh this is definitely the case of load up your kindle with these books because you know as the series goes on they become more and more of a door stopper you only have so much room in your luggage um or uh get the audiobook because this is one of the highest bar audiobooks um i i forget the narrator's name but uh yeah regardless um Excellent audiobook. It's going to last you for however long your road trip is if you just get enough of them. Um, and it's definitely the kind of thing that the whole family can enjoy. My next fantasy move, and I, I'm definitely, there's so many fantasy options. There's high fantasy, uh, crazy in-depth fantasy. Um, I'm sticking with sort of light, frothy, and fun fantasy. And the perfect exemplar of that is someone who we've talked about on this show multiple times, assigned uh, his books multiple times, Terry Pratchett. Um... Discworld, any book from Discworld is going to be a good uh, beach read, but I'm going to go with Good Omens, the book he co-wrote with Neil Gaiman, and which is currently an Amazon show. Um, Now is a great time to read it if you have never read it before because of the Amazon show tie-in. It definitely feels more Pratchett than Gaiman, and it's got that sort of Douglas Adams kind of irreverence, um, which is delightful. Uh, Douglas Adams would also be a great beach read, speaking of... (laughs) Um, and, and honestly, oh God, Neil, Neil Gaiman would be a good beach read too. He's just a little bit, um, more serious than Pratchett. Pratchett is that like fun summary vibe going like, you know, all mixed up in your escapist fantasy. Um, obviously you could pick basically any fantasy book and do well here. Uh, if you want something a little heavier, uh, anything by N.K. Jemisin and I would push the Dreamblood duology, um, which is a little bit lighter than the Broken Earth trilogy and is set in an ancient Egypt-esque world, so you still get that sun Ooh. and sand vibe. Um, if you so want to make sure only... that your if you want to make sure that your book reading and physical experiences are uh, merging. Yeah, the only N.K. Jemisin I've read so far is her Hundred Thousand Kingdoms mm-hmm. trilogy, which were wonderful. Yes. Um. So what I'm sorry, what was the name of the the duo? It's a duology and it's called the Dreamblood duology. Um Dreamblood, okay. Yeah, these days I think they're packaged just in a single like pay, trade paperback um together. So go out and get that. Um I liked 100,000 Kingdoms, but I think it's her weakest of her three series. So Really? You need to read The Broken Earth yesterday possibly Apparently. on vacation. <laughs> um, <laughs> what vacation <laughs> yeah, yeah right exactly um yeah and nk jemison is an excellent choice um but a little heavier than the other options i was going for so if you want a little heavier fantasy go with her um if you want your fantasy light frothy and family friendly uh harry potter the hobbit terry pratchett um and you know specifically good omens uh that'll get you through a good a uh, good time at the beach, and more importantly, if you're traveling with family, lots of those options are good for um, car ride audiobooks or even just, you know, passing the books around with uh, all sorts of ages at the beach. Um, and that is going to do us for this episode. Martha, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me everywhere on the internet because I have a lot of opinions and I like attention. Um, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at magical Martha. You can find my newsletter, which comes out whenever I feel like it 
at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. If you would like that to come out more frequently, I have started adding a PayPal tip link at the bottom of each issue. If you felt like dropping a dollar in the tip jar, if you feel like it. Um, and you can listen to the podcast that I run with Pete's wife and friend of the podcast, Marin Hagman. It releases on opposing Wednesdays to Did You Do Your Homework is called Love Ya and is a deep dive into teen rom-com movies that are available on various streaming platforms. We just did an episode on Candy Jar, a Netflix debate team-themed rom-com, and our next one will be uh, DJ Cinderella, also available on Netflix. (laughs) Uh, That's an excellent name. Um... Cool. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, uh, politics and pop culture. Now that the Women's World Cup is over, I'm not talking about sports. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, uh, wherever fine podcasts can be found. Go ahead and give us a like. Go ahead, rate and review the show. That would be really great for us. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter at Podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook, just searching, did you do your homework? And you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, next week is our vacation week, speaking of summer vacation. Um, so Martha and I are going to stitch together a couple short vignettes about things we're thinking about, things we want to talk about. It's going to be a shorter episode, uh, but that's what you get when you're entering the end of July, beginning of August. Um, everyone starts going on vacation, even if they're not teachers or in school. Um, so with that, we will talk to you in two weeks. Class dismissed. Cool. Hooray. We may actually have succeeded in doing a shortish episode. <laughs>